This is Alex. I'm from Boston. Hello, this is Jackie, and I'm from Houston. Hey, this is Rahul from Stanford. And we are the Premier Chess. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chels, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming to you on your speakers and headsets, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm one of your hosts, Jackie, and I'm here with my good friend, Rahul. Today, it's going to be a circus of an episode. There's lots to talk about, but let's get the formalities out of the way. Rahul, how are you? It's been a while since we've been on here. It has been a while, and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I'm enjoying the break. I'm enjoying the break from the circus, like you mentioned, uh, to start the, the episode. But uh, I guess it's not that much of a break because it continues and the circus continues with all the rumors and stories and uh, everything coming out of our club. But I'm doing good apart from that. How about you? I'm doing all right. Just been busy with work and trying to keep one eye closed away from Chelsea. But it seems like every other headline is about us. And sometimes it's not necessarily good headlines. I mean, we'll dive into it a little bit later, but no, it's been good to kind of get a break from the shambles of performances for a while. And we knew that was going to be difficult. We did a season review and that was a tough one to swallow in the last episode. So that was definitely not easy, but you're looking towards a good summer. We were promised some changes and well, the summer is a little bit long, so maybe there's time to come and rectify what's going on so far, but why don't we jump into it, man? What do you want to talk about today? Let's jump into it. I want to start with, I know we say starting with Chelsea first, and I guess we did start with Chelsea a little bit by touching on on the circus, but uh, let's start with Man City and the treble that they've just completed. And uh, it was something that was on the cards for the last month. Uh, They got the Premier League against us. They then went on to the FA Cup, which everyone thought, all right, Manchester United against them. Maybe they'll stop them. They didn't. And then the Champions League really was the final hurdle for them. And it's been a hurdle that for a long, long time that they haven't been able to get over. But in this case, they get over and complete a treble. So I want to start there. Your thoughts, your reactions to this historic moment for the club, Man City lifting their first Champions League, which kind of gets lost in this whole treble thing. Uh, but your thoughts on that? Look, it was a fantastic game, I think. And I know a lot of people thought that Inter would be blown away. And for a little bit, I thought as well, this could be a blowout where Manchester City are just a fantastic team. But I think Inter were well-organized. They had a lot of chances as well. Obviously, not a lot of possession, but I'm not surprised with the way Manchester City like to hold the ball and control the game. But my wife and I ended up going to pitch 25 here, which was filled with, I'm trying not to exaggerate, maybe 100 televisions everywhere. And the game was on on big screens. People were having a great time. There were Manchester City fans. There were every other fan on earth that was trying to make sure that they didn't win the game. But it was a good atmosphere, a good advert for football. And, you know, Manchester City have tried for years, Rahul, to make it to the Champions League Holy Grail. And for one reason or the other, they've always been knocked out. And some similarities with Chelsea, because, you know, our struggle to get the first one was definitely painful as we went through the whole thing. But once you kind of see yourself in the finals and you kind of find a way there, it almost has to just align and things have aligned for Manchester City this year. I'm not saying they haven't been quality because if you listen to us all season long, we've praised them. We've thought they have been absolutely fantastic and the way they play football and Pep Guardiola has got them so organized. I think he's probably one of the biggest factors because 
Chelsea are a great example. You can spend six, seven hundred million and nothing goes your way. You've got to have a good captain to stir the ship. And I think he's done brilliant. It's monumental. And I, I want to just bring them back to the Man United team of 99 that won the treble. I think it's scary because they've always said Manchester City are the noisy neighbors and they're not that good. And sure, you've won a lot of Premier Leagues and local cups, but you're never going to be on the level as Man United. I think now it's getting a little scary. If they add a couple more, a couple more Champions Leagues to it, they're really going to throw over Man United, and it's going to be an interesting, interesting battle for the next few years. You you bring up a good point, and they're going to overthrow Man United, right? And we're here on a Chelsea podcast. We're talking about United, who are arguably the most successful team in England. Uh, I'm sure Liverpool fans would make a case for it too. But at least in the Premier League era, Manchester United are the most successful. They've won 13 Premier Leagues, I believe. They've won three Champions League uh, in that time. They've won endless FA Cups, Carabao Cups, you name it. They've won every trophy that's out there, right? And then came Arsenal, who, with under Wenger, did the Invincibles. And that's something that I doubt we're going to see again in our lifetime. But, of course, we said that about the treble, too. Um, So, just... Taking that comment about Manchester United, do you think it's unfair to make that comparison against United? Because United are the biggest team in England, you could say even in the world, at least top three. But do you now look at Man City kind of in that second or third position, maybe knocking Arsenal or Chelsea down because they've won seven Premier Leagues. That's more than Arsenal and Chelsea. They won a Champions League, which is more than Arsenal, not not Chelsea. But they're on a trajectory that you could say in a couple of years, maybe three years, they could win a second Champions League and catch up to Chelsea. Yeah, and it all depends on how things go from here on out. And I don't want to kind of mix this in, but obviously there is the financial fair play investigations that are going on as well. And that would have a big mark if that was to go opposite and say, nope, all, everything you've won has been with financial fair play that's not been followed and that's going to be a big issue but keep that out of the mind just discussing the football for a little bit i think football is cyclical and man united did something that was incredible they were champions for a long long time when i say champions i understand arsenal came in between and had a couple of runs there and i think blackburn in between in 95 or 96 if i'm not mistaken and so you go through it and you go yeah no but they were in and around they had so for that succession maybe a decade and even longer 15 years they were fantastic but in between, we come and have a really good run of two or three seasons where we're challenging for it. Arsenal had a really good run for two or three seasons. So you look at Manchester United and you go, doing it for 10 years plus is incredible. And so in that same breath, I look at Manchester City and I think, what is it, four or five out of the last six Premier Leagues? And obviously they've won a few in the last 10 years as well. They're replicating that era of what Man United did. Obviously, the, the, the budgets are different and the way things are done are different, but If you throw that in there, there's always going to be someone upset and throwing an argument about how football's changed financially. I think based on just football, what they're doing is incredible. And so, yes, I mean, it pains me to say if they win another Champions League, we feel like we've kind of been put down a little bit. They've surpassed us on the Premier League level now. I'm not sure on the local cups, but I'm sure they're working their way towards it. They made the Carabao Cup, the Manchester City Cup for a few years. So it's going to be very, very interesting. I know you said they've been a club that have not traditionally had a lot of fans. And what we mean by that is more old school fans who have been here for 20, 25, 30 years 
But listen, I can tell you at the pub when I went, they have a lot of fans and it's fine. If they're new age fans, that's how some clubs get them. They start new and they kind of build from there. And, and that's another great point, which is you see the, I'm, again, I'm going to just compare it to Chelsea. When Chelsea come to America, there's a craze. There's people waiting to see the players. There's people at the stadium, even before kickoff, uh, lined up to get inside the stadium. Maybe you don't get that with Man City just yet, but the way they've won trophies, which is ultimately what fans want. They want to support a team that wins things. And a younger generation than us, or even maybe a, a couple of younger generations than us that are getting into the sport are going to be looking around and saying, you know what, I'm, I'm going to support Man City. Kind of like what we've heard with Alex when he was younger and he was getting into the sport and he said, oh, I looked around and I, I got attracted to Drogba in Chelsea. Yeah. I'm sure there's there's kids now that look at Man City and say, oh, Holland, and he's the up and coming thing and and Man City are playing beautiful football, but they're also winning things. And I, I think in about five, six years time, you're going to see a lot more Man City fans than 100%. we do now. And that's going to be down to what they're doing in this period in the last 10 years, you could say. Uh, and so credit to them as a club. I think they've come up in the last 10, 12 years. And ever since Pep has come in, I believe it was the first season that he came in that they didn't win anything. But since then, they've just gone after records and won titles and and taken Liverpool to the finish line and put them back down, taken Arsenal and put them back down. And so, no, it, it is it is a tough time as a rival fan looking uh, looking at them and saying, "Wow, they've they've done a treble, something that you and I haven't seen our team do. We won a, we won, won things, but we haven't seen us do the treble." Um, and so, for Man City to do it, I mean, congratulations to them. But I think we need to look internally, and we say this all the time whenever we com- compare ourselves to a, a club that's being run or winning things at least uh, the right way. We need to look at ourselves and, and how can we replicate that or at least get to into a position where we can be close enough or doing things similar to them. So congratulations to them. Any final thoughts from you, Jackie, on Man City? And does this dominance continue over the next few years? I don't see how it doesn't continue, to be very honest with you. I know we have our own problems that we have to deal with. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But Arsenal are looking good. Liverpool are looking good. So it's only going to get a little more difficult. And, of course, the red half of Man United is not going to stay quiet and they're going to want to throw Manchester City off the throne. So I think it's going to continue, Rahul, but it's going to get difficult. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see how levels kind of get surpassed. We've talked about the Invincibles. We've talked about, I think, Chelsea had the best defensive record with 15 goals only conceded. And you talked about the 100 or the Centurions, I think. So every time there's a new level, I think one thing that I will say, and it's important for Chelsea, but it's important for any football fan, soccer fan, whatever you want to call it, the U.S. is about to be hit with the soccer or football bug. 2026, we're going to be hosting the World Cup. That's not too far away. And so I think, to your point, more and more people who are not necessarily big-time fans will start to get interested, excited about, and maybe more invested in football or soccer as a whole. And you're not only going to be watching the MLS and watching the World Cup. You'll say, oh, I like that guy, Holland. Where does he play? Or I like this guy, you know, Enzo, where does he play? And naturally, you'll gravitate towards the teams. And so I think for Chelsea, if you want to grow the brand, and this is a Todd Bowley thing, you've got to be successful now before you get into 2026, because those are the likes of the players and names that the young kids today in America are going to want to follow and, and watch. Absolutely. And and 
they have the best manager in the world too. So I think that almost brings them another layer of, of fandom or, or craze that let's go support and be with the best manager who plays excellent football and comes up with new ways. And, and the question I asked you about dominance, I'm going to turn that back to myself for a second. And earlier today, I was watching an interview Pep did right after winning the, the Champions League and Cesc Fabregas was there. And I don't know if a lot of people have seen this because it was on BT Sport. Uh, but Cesc basically told him that when I joined Barcelona under you, you told me, forget about everything you've done in the past. You start from zero. And you're going to only get into this team based on the work that you do here. And you have to do it in training. You have to do it on the pitch and earn the respect of your teammates and myself. And I think that's what he's going to do with the, this squad next season. He's going to say, whatever happened last season is done. We go again and we want to do a treble back-to-back. That's never been done, right? Or we want to be the first English team to win the Champions League back-to-back. That's never been done. So he's going to be looking at other things that can motivate these guys. And these guys are motivated. You you can't win five Premier Leagues and say they're not motivated. So uh, I do agree with you. It's going to be difficult to break that dominance. But there are teams that can do it. And hopefully our team will, will be one of them. Uh, but let's move on to our team, Jackie. It's transfer season. It's crazy season. It's season where it's June 15th. And I think we thought that by this time, we would have a few more departures. We would be a little more lean with the squad. But here we are. We've heard tons of rumors about this one might be leaving. That one might be leaving. So let's start there. The first one on everyone's mind is Mason Mount. Looks like Manchester United have made a first offer of about $40 million, which was rejected right away. But they will be back with a second offer. At this point, I think we're resigned to losing Mason Mount. Everything we've heard so far is that it seems like it's not a matter of money anymore or it's not a matter of what the contract's going to say. I think maybe the relationship is not going to be the same anymore. And I don't know if that's because of the ownership or because of things that have happened managerially or whatever goes on behind the scenes. I'm not sure, but it sounds like his mind is Chelsea can come back tomorrow with a million. And I'm not willing to say, of course, I'm making this up. You never know what happens in football, but all signs are pointing to, he's kind of over the the challenge at this point and is looking for something fresh. And listen, we have to take it with a grain of salt. I think, We've looked at other players and we've been difficult, right? I, I, I notably think of Thibaut Courtois and I say when he played, not to the same level, but when he played the game of wanting to leave, we call him a snake and it was difficult. And we, we said, he's the worst player, this, that, this, that, and a lot of colorful language. But then I look at Aiden Hazard and I look at the opposite end of the spectrum and he says, I think it's a good buy. And I think those were the famous words that stayed with me. And I said, I don't remember anyone truly being upset that Aiden Hazard wanted to leave, right? I think... With Mason Mount, you can tell he's always been happy at Chelsea. He's always wanted to stay with Chelsea. And he's built the last three, four years here with player of the season, young player of the season, helped us in a difficult time when you go back to the sanctions and stuff like that as well. So it's tough because I want to get angry and say, just sign the contract and stay because we know there's a player there. But on the other side of it, it doesn't make sense. Why would Mason Mount want to leave the club? What's going on behind the scenes? And I question, Raul, and I know we keep saying it's, it's like hindsight's twenty twenty. but I say, you know, Pochettino, it's good he's coming later because he's not coming to deal with the mess. But I wonder if he had come 15, 20 days ago and maybe had a couple conversations and said, listen, son, I really like you. I want to build my team around you. You're my number 10 or you're my guy. Maybe that would have kind of set his mind in a different direction. But 
I, I can only hope and I can only pray that something along the line happens where he gets a conversation, a phone call, and something changes. But yeah, as it stands, I think we're we're a couple of bits away from accepting him moving to Manchester United, which is which is scary because I think he'll go and be a fantastic footballer for them. I, I agree with you. He has the potential. He's shown us in a Chelsea shirt that he can deliver on the biggest stage. I'm going to point to the Champions League assist. But even then, he's apart from Chelsea, he's gone with England to the World Cup. He's gone to England with England to the Euros. So clearly, Gareth Southgate trusts him, and and Lampard trusted him. Tuchel trusted him. Uh, Graham Potter t- trusted him for the longest time. So it's. It's sad. As a Chelsea fan, it's sad because he's one of our lads. He's a guy that came through the academy. Yes, he's from Portsmouth, but he did join Chelsea at a young age, and he's come through, and he came through at a point along with Reese James and some of the other guys, but specifically for Mason Mount. He came through at a point where we were looking for players that could step up from the yeah. academy. We were looking for players to be in and around kind of like the John Terry that's they come in young, they solidify their spot in the team and then go on to to be a legend at the club. So it's it is sad that it's come to this point. It's come to a point where both parties, Chelsea as a club and Mason Mount as a player, feel that it's gotten to a point where they have to part ways because no fan, no 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 sane Chelsea fan would want Mason Mount to go, but in a situation where I look at it as you and I have jobs, if it gets to a point where the relationship has broken down or we just don't feel like we're valued or whatever be the case, right? And we want to leave, we're, we're going to find a different alternative. And in this case, it's an alternative that hurts us even more because it's a rival. But I can't question Mason Mount because I know if things were better behind the scenes, he would be the first one to sign that paper and say, I'm staying, I'm Chelsea through and through. But it's gotten to a point behind the scenes where it's not that way. And and you have to respect that. You have to give him the the benefit of the doubt, but you also have to give the club the benefit of the doubt that they did everything within their power to keep him. Of course, he hasn't left just yet. And your point on Pochettino is, is well taken. I do believe he should have had a conversation if he hasn't. We, of course, don't know that he hasn't. But I have to think he's at least spoken to a key few key members of the squad, maybe a few senior players, maybe a few younger players, just on the phone. Hi, hello, this is Pochettino. Looking forward to next season, blah, blah, blah. Um, and Mason Mount has to be one of those, I would assume. So we don't know. Things can change pretty quickly, but it seems like Mason Mount, maybe, like you said, with a couple more bids, he is out of, out of Chelsea, which is going to hurt. But... We take it on the chin and we move on. But if we're taking that one on the chin, Jackie, there's a couple more that we may have to take. And the next one on the list here is Kai Havertz, who a couple of weeks ago when we spoke was linked to Real Madrid. And we were like, okay, you know, Real Madrid, they're looking for someone to go in and and fit in the Benzema role. But ever since then, there's been a, a, a distraction in Mbappe that's come up. And so Kai Havertz is still out there as a name, but it seems like that name has come up on the Arsenal list. And that's a little surprising, but I want to get your thoughts on why would Arsenal be looking to spend 50, 60, Chelsea 175 million for Kai Havertz when we've seen him for the past two, two and a half, three years not live up to the expectation? When Kai Havertz joined Chelsea, I think... He was linked with Real Madrid. He was linked with 
Chelsea. He was linked with Manchester City. I think he was linked with every massive club out there. And we called her Iron Fist Marina. She did what she did. She found a way to make the the negotiations work. Kai Havertz was paid and is still paid a fantastic wage. And it was promised that he would be built around. And for some reason or the other, Rahul, we've watched him for years. And he played the left wing, the right wing, false nine, number 10. So one way or the other, I don't know if it's it's written in his contract where he has to play as much as he can play because he's the star boy. But yes, he's not lived up to expectations. But the point I'm trying to make is all of these teams were in in for him at some point. And so clearly the talent is there. The talent doesn't just disappear. You and I have seen glimpses and maybe flashes of his brilliance and some of his goals, even the Champions League goal. He's calm, cool, under pressure. So I wonder, I wonder if it's Chelsea where it's just not going to work out and putting on a different shirt or changing to a different culture or a different style of play. And we might get to see the, the Kai Havertz that Chelsea paid all that money for now. Why would we be selling to a rival and, and one that finished ahead of us? I can ask you the same question about Mason Mount. Why are we not trying to sell him out of the country to I heard Bayern Munich? We're interested in both Mason Mount and Kai Havertz, which with the Thomas Tuchel link, that makes a lot of sense. Real Madrid, I think they just spent $100 million on Jude Bellingham as well, so that makes it difficult. But you wonder, there have to be a couple of bids that you can work with. And Kai Havertz is another one, I believe, that his contract's not expiring for a couple of seasons. I could be wrong. And so maybe hold on to him and convince him of the project and see what happens there. But I'm not sure what's going on, Rahul. It's kind of confusing. Why Arsenal are going for him? Does he really fit into their squad? Maybe not. But we saw that Arsenal did bottle the league because they don't have maybe the depth of the squad. If they're losing a couple of key players, then things don't really go their way. So adding is really something that will help them maybe not drop the points or drop the confidence when they lose a couple of key players. And look, you want to win a couple more trophies. You want to go on a, a deep run into the Premier League. You need to have squad depth. And I think uh, what better than a player that could become the next big thing. So maybe not 75 million. I don't see that ever playing out, but it'd be tough to lose both him and Mason Mount because it's not just about, you know, the connection to the club. We talk about experience and experience doesn't mean you have to be 50 years old. Experience means they know the Chelsea way. They've been there for a while, but it'll be interesting to see how that one plays out. A few points I want to touch on that you brought up. So you said maybe not 75. If you were Chelsea and you were Todd Bowley and, and the ownership group, what value would you say you'd feel comfortable if it's not 75 that you'd say, okay, you know what, 65, 70, 72, we're okay to let Kai Havertz go? Yeah, it depends on the length of the contract. I don't remember if it's one or two years, but I think – he really, we bought him in for about 70, 75 million as well. So I don't think we'll recruit the same amount of money that we spent, but maybe 60 million. I think you could get in for, for Kai Havertz. He's still very young, 24. He can play a variety of different positions. And we've seen him in a Germany shirt. He performs pretty well for them in the Germany shirt. So I'm sure the right coach could unlock the Kai Havertz. I think 60 million. Again, I don't want to sell because I think there's a player there that Pochettino could use, but it really depends on what the behind the scenes teams think. Yeah, look, it's you said a right coach, and I know Pochettino is coming in, and we've seen him work well with younger players. And Kai Havertz, for for us, it feels like he's been around for a long time, but it's only been two seasons, I believe, so or three coming up to. So it's not like he's older, he's younger, like you said. He's still learning. He's got the experience in the Premier League. So for me to to have him move away from 60 to 75 to a top four rival and a rival that, 
let's be honest, is in a better position than us. We're almost strengthening them and saying, you know what? We've groomed Kai Havertz for three years. And I don't, I, I mean that with the, the most respect. And here you go. You can use the and get him to the finished article and get the benefits out of him, which almost has transitioned in the sense that a few years ago, we would be the ones going to Arsenal and looking at them and saying, yep, we'll take a Giroud from you. We'll take Ashley Cole from you. We'll take Cesc Fabregas for you through Barcelona. And now it's flipped and it's like Jorginho is going there. And I know Jorginho is a little bit older, but he has the experience. He was part of a Champions League winning squad. Kai Havertz seems to be another one that's linked in and most likely might end up there. So it's a little concerning for me that looking at Kai Havertz might be at Arsenal who finished second, Mason Mount going to United who finished fourth, and Kovacic, Jackie, was the third player on the list here. Seems like personal terms with Man City who finished first, just spoke about the treble, have been agreed. Chelsea are open to letting him go. He came in under Sarri on loan was finalized the following season under Lampard as a permanent signing. Is this another one where, since we can move some of the other guys on, we're looking around and saying, well, let's take the money for him, and and we reinvest it or put it somewhere else within the club? A few months ago, I think we did an episode called, I think, Keep, Sell, Bench, if I'm not mistaken, something along those lines. And I want to go back and listen to it because I don't think either of us would have got rid of Mason Mount, Kovacic, and Kai Havertz. I think one one maybe of the three we would say, fine, we're okay parting with. But it's kind of poor business from the board. And I, and I want to be the first one to raise my hand and say, when the ownership came in, I was excited because you don't just splash the cash. And we said, what great owners, they're spending the money, they're doing what they need to do to get the business kind of back under control and we're going to be a superpower again. Obviously, it didn't work. And, you know, we can say hindsight 2020, we've seen that. But we were all worried about this flashy brilliance of new players, young players, hundreds of millions. But in our own in our own home, we didn't sign Mason Mount to a, another contract. We didn't sign Kovacic to another contract. And so you come summertime and you're letting all of them go. And I think whatever the fee is, right, it doesn't matter. It's at the point where you're you're forced to sell. You don't have a little bit of power to negotiate with the player and says, I still have you in a three-year contract. Let's push and see how next season goes. It's like I can't push and see how next season goes because you go for free. So your hands are tied. Some clubs can lowball you and you have to kind of take these these offers. But I look at that position, the pivot position, and I know it's Enzo at this point. And then I start looking around and I go, who else? And we'll talk about Kante here in just a second. But if Kovacic leaves and you're seriously not going to find a couple, maybe three players to fill the pivot position, it's going to be tough. It's going to be very, very tough. And I think... At this point, it's not if Kovacic leaves. It's a matter of when they make the announcement because it sounds like everything is almost done. It And it's another one where I'm looking at it and I'm saying, if you want to sell him, if that's a player that you've identified that we it doesn't fit within the plans or someone that we can make some money off of, why not offer him abroad? Or why not offer him to another club that isn't Man City or Arsenal or United. And I get it, right? He he settled in England. He probably feels better staying in England and, and definitely better joining Manchester City. Um, who will benefit from a Kovacic? Let's be honest. We've seen him. We've said he's been able to carry the ball forward, dribble through, maybe not score enough. But when you have Holland scoring 52 and you have some of the other guys around you scoring, 
you just need to do your job and coaches can do that job really well. Uh, and that concerns me a little bit because we're talking about catching up to Man City while giving them one of our best players. Let's be honest, Pep's not going to look at another team and say, I'm going to take your player just because I feel like it. He sees something that can can, can add to his squad and his uh, team. So it's disappointing. It's it's sad that we thought 15 days, half, half the month gone through, we'd be talking about maybe a Ruben Loftus-Cheek leaving, a Ziyech leaving who was leaving in January and not, nothing's been heard right now. Pulisic is another one that I know is on the radar to, to go, but he's having a decent time with the U S men's national team. And I'm like, why can't that be replicated in the Chelsea shirt? Because he's another one that's young and, and been at Chelsea for a while. So we wouldn't have to be like, well, he's young and he needs time. Um, so it's just the decisions that we've made since last summer with, I think we started off well with Sterling Koulibaly. We, we fit in some good positions and then we let Tuchel go. And since then it's been, just scattergun, let's go buy this one, let's go do this, let's go do that, let's bring a ton of young players in, let's inflate the squad. Now we're in a position where we just have to sell, and we're selling established players, and I'm looking at it for next season, and I'm already thinking of the excuses. We have a young squad, we have players that aren't used to the Premier League, we have players that need to adjust, we need to give them time, we're in a transition. And all of that is good. I, I, I agree. If we are in that position, we do need to give time and we do need to be patient. But we're not a patient fan base. We've spoken about this last season. We saw it under Potter. We're not a patient fan base. As soon as things go sideways, and, and I know we'll talk about that in, during the fixtures, there's going to be a good call from a portion of Chelsea fans to say Potch needs to go. He, he's too spursy for us. And I just don't think we're setting up... To, for success next season, whatever that looks like. Uh, but you mentioned Conte. He is mm. leaving on a free, which we heard three, four months ago, he was signing a new contract. He's leaving on a free. He's going to Saudi Arabia as part of the, the revolution coming through from uh, Saudi Arabia and the money there. He's going to be playing for Al Itihad. Uh, and it's a hundred million euro per year contract. So I don't blame Conte for taking it on he's he's earned it he's earned the respect from Chelsea fans he's earned the money but is there something we could have done to maybe convince him to stay or was the money just too good and we say you know what good luck and and thank you yeah we missed signing him up a little bit earlier I think it's the same situation we can talk about with Kovacic and with Mason Mount you can't wait till the summertime where a club can say we can get him for free I think all indicators before the Saudi revolution was Kante loves life in England. He's being paid a very good wage, I think in the 300,000 pounds a week. And so why would you move if there's no other offer on the table to where you're going to go? You're going to go to Spain at this age or you're going to go to a rival club down the street with Manchester City with Arsenal? I don't think so. I think he was happy. I think he was content. And so why it dragged out? Why we, I mean, even as, as recent as a month ago, he said he's happy in Chelsea. And of course, it can be fluff work where he just goes, I'm happy, but in behind the scenes, things are going on. But we've wasted time, Rahul. We've wasted time over and over again. If we knew Ingola Kante from behind the scenes was not going to do an extension, whether that's one year, two years, whatever it is, we should have sold him last summer. And I know people say, Jackie, you're crazy. He's the best player. But we're now losing him for free. And same thing with Mason Mount. We should have tied him to a contract. Otherwise, we could have sold him last summer with two years left in. We should come to a point where we're managing things a little better. Okay. 
it's the ownership's first season in charge and they live and they learn. But these lessons that they're learning are costing Chelsea a lot, more so than they can ever understand. So uh, good luck to N'Golo Kante. Been a fantastic football player, not just for Chelsea, but just if you're a fan of football and you watch that man play, you wonder if he's got six legs and he's just running around with an uh, energizer battery in his back. But I will miss seeing him re-energize this team and put in those tackles and get the odd fantastic goal where he goes, that Kante, but no, good luck to him. And I think with a hundred million, he can do a lot for his family and for his, his country as well. Absolutely. And he is doing that. He is buying a Belgian club, I believe in the third division, and he's going to invest his money. He's going to invest into his future for, for life outside of playing. And, and that's a smart thing to do. So uh, out of the four, players that we've mentioned that are leaving Chelsea at this point. I'm okay with N'Golo Conte. He's had his injury problems. We've paid him for the last year, like you said. Maybe we could have taken advantage of that, but hindsight's 2020, like we say, and we didn't know he would be out for chunks of this season. Uh, but we knew he had injuries issue, issues before uh, before this season. So uh, we wish him the best, but with the other three, it's it's going to hurt. And every time they do well for the new club, it's going to hurt because we're going to miss them. Uh, especially if we don't replace them with the same type of player or the caliber of player that we're letting go. And I'm sure fans are listening to this and saying, well, you've spent most of this season bashing Kai Havertz and Kovacic and Mason Mount. And yes, we have. This season has been bad for everyone, but we can't just focus on this season. They've done a lot in the past for the club and for the team. And that's what we're saying we're going to miss once they move on. But we've got to trust that the owners and the club bring in the right players. But before we move on to that, any other players that you think or you've heard of that we haven't spoken about that may be leaving Chelsea? Yeah, a couple of strange ones that I was maybe not thinking they would leave, but it's shaping up to be a possibility. And I think that's Kaladu Kulabali. I think one year with Chelsea, and it's not been a good year, but Rahul, you already touched on it's not been a good year for anybody. Tried to settle in, took the famous number 26 shirt. We had some high, high expectations. Honesty is, is what we need to be, and it's definitely not worked out to what we've expected. He's 32 on a huge contract. Inter Milan have come in and asked for him maybe to partner him with Lukaku because Lukaku is a better defender than a striker at this point in time. But look, if it works out, I can wish him the best because I think Chelsea did the scattergun approach and are now changing and looking for a different model of recruiting. So hopefully that will work out, but it could be one that happens or whether it's a loan, I don't know, or, or we lose them for a little bit cheaper than we paid. That That's a good one. And that's one that came up, I think, fairly recently with Inter being in the Champions League final. So there were no conversations till after. And it's come up, like you said, with the Lukaku and, and Onana maybe, but not really. I think Lukaku specifically... Inter won Kulabali, so that's a good thing. But I, it doesn't make sense for me to us to send a 32, 33-year-old out on loan and for us to be paying part of his wages just because we don't want him here. Let let him go. We're taking a hit on Kai Havertz. We're taking a hit on Mason Mount. We might as well take the hit here as well and just get him off the books, let him go do his thing in, in, in Italy and, and be happy. We're in a good position with the center backs we have. And with Koulibaly leaving, I think that opens a door for Levi Colwell, who's had a fantastic season with Brighton, and he deserves the opportunity to come in and, and play in this Chelsea squad under Pochettino 
And if he does get that opportunity, I do believe that under Pochettino, Levi Colwell will flourish and do well. And that's what we want to see is someone on the other side of their career to come in and be hungry and make uh, an impression and, and be in this Chelsea squad for a long time. But Lukaku, Jack, you, you mentioned he's a better defender than, than a striker. He could have actually also scored in that game, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Do you even bring him back at this point? Or are you saying, let's take the hit here as well and just get him out? Yeah, I think he's approaching 29-30 as well, Rahul. And while I think he's had some pockets of form with Inter, he's also shown he's not maybe the most physically fit Lukaku that we've known in the past. Injuries have started to catch up to him. If I'm Chelsea, I would try and market him a little bit maybe to the Saudi league since they are spending a little bit of money. We know Lukaku is on a big contract, so there are not a lot of clubs that would be willing or able to pay his salary. And so uh, maybe Saudi would come in and give us a couple of quid and say, yeah, we'll break him off his contract and we'll pay it off. But it's one of those things where it just hasn't worked at Inter. He's not the same player. The attitude is not right. If we're building a revolution and going through a transition, I don't know if he's the right guy to come on this on this you know journey with us. I, I agree with you. It's... It was meant to be in early 2021 when we brought him back, and then it wasn't, and it hasn't meant to. It hasn't been meant to be since then, and we just have to part ways and move on. So, um, those are some outgoings, but incomings, Jackie. In the last few hours, Fabrizio Romano has reported that Chelsea are have advanced on a Mo- Moises Caicedo deal, and that's mainly on the personal ter- terms being mm-hmm. closed. Nothing yet with. Brighton, which I'm sure Brighton are going to be ignoring all the calls from Todd <laughs> Bully. Uh, but qu- we've seen him be fantastic. He's he's an ex- excellent player in the Brighton shirt, but we've seen that with Kukurea. My concern here is we're going to dish out 80, 85 million, whatever it ends up being for a player that I'm not doubting him. I'm, my hands have just been burnt with the Kukurea mm-hmm. stuff. If he comes in, we're automatically telling him that you are a starter in the squad based on the other midfielders around you leaving. Is that, one, too much pressure? And two, are we making a mistake by just plucking from Brighton, putting in Chelsea and saying it's going to work exactly like it did in Brighton? To answer your first question, I don't think it's too much pressure. From what I've seen of him, I think he's ready. I think he's the type of player that wants to play and show what he can do. In my mind, I don't think he sees Chelsea as the final step in his career. I think it's maybe another step up. And if he can progress from here and show his levels from here, I'm sure other clubs, the Madrid, the Barcelonas, will come and that will probably tempt him in the future. But to answer your second question, I think that's a stronger point that we need to discuss. I don't like that Todd Bowley came and acquired Chelsea, but basically he's trying to acquire Brighton to fit into Chelsea. And we've seen that happen all season long, and it's it's kind of frustrating at this point. This has nothing to do with Caicedo, by the way. I think he's a he's a fine player, and I think he probably will fill the gap that we need. But for 80, 85 million, Rahul, with Kovacic leaving, Ruben Loftus-Cheek is not the player that they want. Who else is going to play in that pivot as time goes on? I, I bet you Enzo's looking around like, is there an exit clause I have in this contract that I can go back to Benfica because this is a mess? And so I almost wonder, what's the point of the scouting department that we put in all through December and now, right? What's the point of having our technical and sporting directors that hopefully and 
I would assume, have links with the footballing world, right? We were linked with Ugarte. We lost that one. Whatever. It doesn't matter. But the point I'm trying to make is for 80 million, can you go out and get two midfielders? Can you go out and get three midfielders? There, I say, And I understand there are youth players that are coming through in the likes of Caicedo, not Caicedo, I cannot pronounce his name correctly, who had come from Inter. I know that we have Andres Santos trying to get his contract. I know that, you know, there's uh, Carney Chukumeca, but they're not the, the mold of player that will play in that pivot. And so why not go out and do some research? I mean, Romo, Romeo Lavia from Southampton might be the guy. He might be a little more affordable. And there are others, Wilfred Ndidi, maybe he's not the fittest player out there. But in a transition season, maybe don't blow all your budget on one player because Brighton are being difficult. Again, if he comes, I'll be the first guy to be happy and say yes. But I'm looking at this Chelsea backroom staff again and wondering, what are they doing? Because this is the same link we've had for a year now. And it's it's a fair question. But to answer that question, I, I will point you, and I think you mentioned Andre Santos and and Casede, uh, the Italian guy, and I apologize for butchering his name. But we've also just brought in a, a Venezuelan, I believe his his nationalities, or, or yeah. may be wrong with that, uh, Kennedy Perez. So he's one that I don't think was on the radar for a lot of people, but we found him and we've plucked him. And if you look at the under-20 World Cup, Chelsea players or players that are associated with Chelsea or linked to Chelsea were the ones that were doing well. So it seems like the scouting department is a little more focused on almost the next 10 years or the next five years with bringing in some of these players under 20. And in the immediate future, we're looking at established, I say that in quotes, players around the league and around Europe and saying, let's get them into the squad and and work with each other and, and build around that. But in the spirit of praising or, or giving the club a little bit of credit what we did with Ugarte and say you know what we're not going to go beyond this level we we offered you something if PSG are going to exceed it that's it you you make your choice I do rec I do commend the the club for that because in the past with maybe an Enzo or something we would have gone an extra mile in, or two and overspent and said we want him he, we're obsessed with it and so we made a smart decision there. Hopefully we can get the Caicedo deal over because ultimately I do believe he will be a good fit. Uh, but let's not overpay and, and get into a situation where we're losing more of our own established stars. Um, Onana, Jackie, final one before we take a quick message and then talk about fixtures and shirt sponsor. I was really impressed with Onana during that Champions League final. I, I've been messaging you about it. That's one player that out of everyone that we've spoken about that's coming in or linked with Chelsea, I'm excited for because he almost was an attacker in a goalkeeper's position. Now, you might be like, well, isn't he the same height as Kepa? To me, it looks like that. Isn't he conceding goals in the Champions League final? Yes, he did, but that was a shot that he really didn't see until the last minute. But the way he was starting attacks from a goalkeeping position... I was getting excited. Now, I know we, as Chelsea fans, wouldn't expect the attack to go anywhere, but it almost seemed like a Cesc Fabregas, but in goal, or a Jorginho, but in goal. And that got me excited. And, and maybe you can hear it in my voice, and you can see me here, too. I would really like Onana to come in. I know he prefers to go to Manchester United, but in your opinion, do we need to make the switch in a goalie position? Yes, I think we need to get a more progressive goalkeeper and someone who can play a little bit more with their feet. And and 
let me preface this by saying I think Kemba has shown he can do that this season. He's not the best at it, but he is showing that he has a little more to do with his feet than Mendy. That being said, while I think we do need one, I think we need other players in other positions to strengthen. We've already talked about being light in midfield. We still haven't talked about a striker with Kai Havertz leaving, who was our backup striker. I don't really know who comes in. Maybe the club's going to put all their eggs into Armando Broja and uh, David Datro Fofana. But Rojo, it's the same thing having, you know, teams and players with with young youngsters that don't have that experience. And I'm not saying Broja didn't go out on loan and do a good job, but you need to have a little bit of experience. So coming back to your goalkeeper, he has the Champions League experience, but he's played in Italy. I'm not sure if coming to the Premier League, we're adding another player to the mix. If he comes, I think it'll be good and it'll be kind of the progression we need. But I wouldn't go spending the money on him first. I think we need to identify the other areas, striker, defensive midfielders, stop trying to sell some of the players that are the depth of the squad and have been there. And then if there's some money left over, bring in Onana if he wants to come at that point. Well, we are linked with a striker and you've reminded me and it's Nicholas Jackson for about 30 million. So that leaves some money for Onana. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but let's talk about Nicholas Jackson real quick. He's plays for Villarreal. He's from Gambia. He's 21 years, 26 games this season for, for Villarreal, 12 goals, four assists. So not bad. I, if he was scoring 12 for the Chelsea team, I do believe that he would be uh, the highest goal scorer within the squad. Uh, no, I'm not really familiar with him. I haven't had the opportunity to do much research on him or, or watch any videos. Uh, but just from the perspective of bringing a young striker and identifying him early, maybe that is the scouting department, maybe not. But do you think that's smart business from Chelsea Maybe to to? to identify him and get him in before the value gets to a 60, 70, 80 million. If we decide that next season, we don't want to be competitive. And that's just me being brutally honest. I think a 21 year old with 12 goals, it's okay. It's nothing that gets me off my seat and saying, we finally have the next idea drug bar, finally have the next Costa that's going to come. And, and people don't give this man respect. We, we have the next Giroud that's come in to help plug the gap that we need. Lovely, great. We have one for the next two, three years that can join the ranks of Broha and the and the Datra Fafana, and they all fight it out and see who the top two or three that will make it through. But Chelsea need an established twenty goals a season striker. Is he the guy? I haven't seen enough to to make that decision. But if he's part of the long term investment, sure. But we can't just bring them in and have them sit in the reserves. Go back to giving them the opportunity to go out and loan, maybe buy and loan him back straight to his club where he gets an opportunity to kind of develop and go from there. That's fair. And I, I don't know if the idea is for him to be a first-team squad player or come in and go out on loan or or be in and around the 25-man squad. I don't know. But there's only that many 25, 20-plus goal strikers, and, and maybe we do have to look at that position a little bit differently. But um, if we bring him in and we have the money for Onana, I'm okay because... Um, I'm fully on board with the Onana train, even though he's looking at Manchester United. Uh, but let's take a quick message from our sponsors, and then we'll be back to talk about a shirt sponsor and the fixture. The Premier Chelsea has partnered with Fubo TV. Fubo TV is your home for live sports and TV without a cable in the U.S. and Canada. 
You can watch on all your devices, which means you don't have to miss any of the actions or goals that Chelsea score in the Premier League and Champions League. You heard that right. Fubo TV Network's broadcast Premier League, Champions League, and many other leagues and tournaments. So what are you waiting for? Start your free trial today at FuboTV.com forward slash TPC. Welcome back. And before we get into talking about shirt sponsors... In the break, Jackie and I did some, what do you call it, Jackie? Fact-checking? or Fact-checking, yeah, fact-checking. Fact-checking. So I'll hand it over to Jackie to uh, bring you up to speed on our facts. <laughs> yeah, so I think you said that there's not been an English team to win two back-to-back Champions League, and I think Nottingham Forest had done that in 78-79, but I think we want to argue that point, or are you okay with that? Well, I said Champions League, and back then it was called the European Cup. So you're right, but I believe I'm right too. We'll let you have that one. And then we signed a young Venezuelan young lad from there. What did you call his name? I was I called him <laughs> Kennedy Perez. Yeah, I believe he's Kendry Piaz. So... It's going to be interesting. You start learning his name now if you really think he's the future of Chelsea. But listen, that's what we do here. We have a little bit of banter, fact check each other. If you want to look back into the archives of the Premier Chelsea, we made a big boo-boo on our first ever episode with not fact checking ourselves. So I think we like to do that every now and then just to keep ourselves honest. We do. And I also learned uh, Cassidy's name, Cesare Cassidy. The wonder kid, wonder boy, who scored six goals, was it, at the Under-20 World Cup? Um, So we're getting smarter, we're getting better, and uh, hopefully this was a a session or a moment for you to get better with the pronunciations too. But Jackie, let's move on to our new shirt sponsor. So the relationship with three, the mobile network companies coming to an end. And you would think by this point, specifically by mid-June, we would have an answer to who the new sponsor is going to be and most likely even have the new jersey or close to having the new jersey. But we have neither of those two things. And for the longest time, we heard Allianz, which is the insurance company, uh, was going to be the one that would be sponsoring Chelsea. But now it seems to be that it has changed in steak. I don't mean steak like the food. Uh, it's S-T-A-K-E, the betting company, may be the ones that end up being the shirt sponsors for a year before the Premier League bans betting sponsors to be on, on shirts. So what is going on with our club? It seems not only on the transfers, but in general, we're just behind the eight ball. We're doing things scrambling and getting things done. But stake, I mean, I, I, I'd never heard of them. And maybe because that's I'm not a betting man, but... What are your thoughts? We are late to the party, my friend. All of the sponsors have already been taken. But listen, I think when you have the season the way we had, which is finishing 12th, dropping out of the Champions League, lots of key players trying to move on, I think ultimately your reach of who can sponsor you drops as well. And that's not to say anything bad against Stake. And in a few minutes, I'm sure I'll say something bad about them because I've tried to think this through. But your reach drops, your options drops. And if you don't spend years ahead of time negotiating. And I think that's what we heard with the previous regime is we were always ahead of schedule, whether we were moving from Fly Emirates, Samsung was already in when we were ready to go. And moving from Samsung Samsung to Yokohama was already in and ready to go. So 
I said this earlier, the ownership are learning and a lot of their lessons are going to be very costly for Chelsea. Hopefully, I haven't seen and done enough due diligence here. Hopefully, the contract we signed with Stake is going to be rewarding. And I mean by as people kind of invest their time in gambling, and I'm not advocating this for anybody that has any issues with gambling, but you do get a, a kickback to have Stake on your T-shirt. So other than that, Rahul, I've, I've scoured the interwebs. I've looked around. A lot of Chelsea fans are not too pleased with us going with stake.com if we are to finally close the deal there. Uh, it comes down to what you touched on earlier, which is it's a short-term deal. The Premier League is trying to ban gambling as part of the sponsorship deals on T-shirts and some people going as far as saying it looks like a cheap logo. Again, I don't want to comment too far till we see the final design, but it's one of those things where I think we're ill-prepared in the backroom staff and we just need to do a better job. I, I do agree with you, and from what I've seen of the leak jersey, which is up on our Instagram, and uh, if you if it goes off of a story, you can check out London will always be blue uh, their page, but it, it does look neat with the gold and the white, um, so it's not as bad. But just reading up on stake, it's an Australian Kukurawan online casino company. Hopefully, I said that right. We won't have to fact check that at the end of the episode. Um, and it's started in 2016, so it's fairly new. Uh, they offer traditional casino games and sports betting, and, and specifically in this case, it's going to be stake.us since uh, we're looking at or with the our, our U.S. owners. So, yeah, I mean, I look, I like I said at the beginning of the 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 segment, I'm not a betting person or too big into it, but it can be addictive. It can pose a problem for where people put all of their savings and all of their money into it and the expectations of, of making a big pay. But uh, hopefully that doesn't mean Chelsea are, are going to be supporting it, even though we've had partners that are embedding and, and do similar things. And maybe this is the best deal on the table for the club with, with the other financial issues or, or things that we've done in the last few years. Um, so it is for a year. I mean, we've had other controversial Sponsors, I'm not going to get into that or, or anything like that. But hopefully we do it for a year and we get smarter over the course of this year and have a, a partner lined up come going into next year. But uh, we'll take it as it comes. But let's move on to the fixtures, which is what I've been waiting for. You've been waiting for this morning at about 4 a.m. our time, 3 a.m. for you. The fixtures came out. June 15th is the day when they most likely have been coming out for the last few years. And so the fixtures are out, Jackie. The first games start on August 11th, so mm. under two months really to go now, which is exciting because we already missed the Premier League, maybe not as Chelsea fans, but just in general. Uh, and it starts off with Burnley-Man City as the first game of the season on a Friday night. A little bit of a... a romantic story there with company and Man City reuniting this early? Listen, I'm not a betting man, and we just went over that. But <laughs> you, you got to tell me there's something fixed about this fixture. I'm <laughs> sorry, that was a horrible pun. But Nissan, I think it's just one of those things where everybody wanted to see it because it's the student and the master or the teacher and the pupil, however you look at this. Burnley have been fantastic coming up, and I've watched snippets of them and I've watched snippets of how he leads the backroom and he leads the team. It's almost Pep Guardiola-esque, and I'm sure he's learned a lot of that from there. By he, I mean Vincent Company. So 
it'll be a fun one. Definitely a fun one to watch. And for the champions to look at the newly promoted, I think it's always an interesting one. But the ties of Vincent Company, Pep Guardiola, Manchester City, it'll be great to watch on a Friday, a Friday evening. Absolutely. And just having the Premier League back in itself will be great. Uh, but let's stick with the newly promoted side. So Sheffield hosts Crystal Palace, which should be a, a good game for both sides. I hear Roy Hodgson might stay on as manager of mm. Crystal Palace, which will be an interesting appointment. Uh, and then the other one, which I believe will draw a little more attention, is Brighton versus Luton Town. And Luton Town, with their story and everything that they've gone through from basically being broke to coming back and, and getting back into the Premier League, I'm sure you've seen the videos of their ground, which they had to request to play the first few games away since they had to get it into a <laughs> position where it could be a Premier League ground. Uh, so it's an exciting time for them, and they start off against Brighton. And you look at it on the Brighton side and you say, not a bad first game for them to kick off their campaign. But from the Luton perspective, every game's just going to feel like, I say a party, right? But I do understand that they want to fight and stay in the league. But the first few games and just being out at these stadiums, it's just going to be an un unbelievable exposure for them. This is the beauty of European football versus sports in America. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. I mean, it gives a chance for the little guy to come up and participate in the biggest tournament in England. And, and it's the same format in Spain, Italy, Germany, France, whatever you want to call it, right? We don't have that format in America. It's where you're in the MLS and it doesn't matter if you finish last every season you're the same guys, whether you're big or small, every se every season long, right? So it's lovely to see. It's a fun time to look at some of their social media with their stadium. I can only imagine what it looks like after their renovations. I can't believe they're going to be able to fix some of the entry points and maybe knock people's houses down. That's not going to happen. But it's just going to have a little bit of a cozy feel when you go to the Luton ground. And I'm sure they're going to make some noise, Rahul, and let people know, like, hey, we're here to stay if we can stay, but we're going to give it our all. But uh, disappointing, their first few games are going to be away from home. So I'm excited as it breaks down what their home stadium is going to look like. Absolutely. I'm, I'm looking forward to it too. And if we do make it out to London, I hope we can catch a game there just for the experience. Uh, but let's talk about, I'll just run through some of the other games. Arsenal, Nottingham Forest, a decent start for Arsenal. Everton, Fulham. So Everton hopefully is trying to start off with a win and, and not get into the relegation zone right off the bat. Newcastle, Aston Villa, which would be a good game given that both teams had a good season. And then we go on to Sunday, Jackie. Brentford, Spurs. So a tough welcome for the new Spurs boss. And then speaking of tough welcomes, Pochettino at home versus Liverpool and Liverpool also one of the teams that requested for an away game for the first uh, week because of upgrades to their stadium. So let's touch on our game. Tough draw? Could it have been worse? Could it have been better? It doesn't matter. <laughs> I've always said this and people get so upset with me, but I think we got the chance to see Chelsea in preseason and you said this the whole year long that something wasn't right at the club. Preseason will tell us if something's right or wrong at the club. And if something's right, this is going to be a tasty fixture. If something's not right, you and I are going to turn off the TV and just pray to the gods that it goes well. But I'm being very serious. I think if we have a good preseason, 
And we've already outlined some of the challenges, but maybe Pochettino picks from the youth. Maybe Andres Santos gets his visa. Maybe Cesar Casade has a great time and is able to squeeze into the team and we're, we're just confident. It'll be a great game. And I think even if we lose, I've always said this, as long as we give 100%, we're not getting battered 5, 6, 7 nail, it'll be fun. And it's what a fun way to open for Poch and say, I'm here and I'm here to show what I can do. I'm not expecting to win the league again. I want to be very clear, but let's have a fun time and see what can happen. That's all we can do is have a fun time based on this season. But this game typically ends in a draw, and I wouldn't be mad about it in this case because you avoid the defeat, and that will go into some of the other fixtures that Chelsea have. So you avoid the defeat, which is the first game against Liverpool. You then have West Ham away and Luton Town back at the bridge as the first three games in August. Not a bad start, in my opinion. You look at it and you say West Ham... Maybe with the Declan Rice move, they're, they're still restructuring. Luton Town coming to the bridge. Another great opportunity for them, but maybe a, a, a step too far. And you could go out of August potentially with seven to nine to maybe even just six points, which is not a bad way to start. No, and it's a nice little round of there's a nice heavyweight Titan match to open the season. A local London derby where we can play West Ham and get some of our aggression out and then if things are going well, no disrespect to Luton, a little bit of an easier fixture to round off August. So no, please with that. I ha- I don't have too many complaints. Yeah, I, I don't either. But it the first game against Liverpool almost reminds me of that first game we had under Mourinho against Manchester mm-hmm. United, where they were the better side. I believe they had just won a few trophies and had come to the bridge. And we won it 1-0. Yes, it was a scrappy goal. It was a scrappy game. But we set off with the intention of, we're here to dominate this league. And I'm not saying we'll do that under Poch, but let's start off with a good performance, with a good result, and we build off of that. But yeah. we go into September, Jackie, and typically in September is Champions League comes back into the play. Carabao Cup, I believe, will have a, a fixture in August since we finished so far down. But there is no Champions League. There is no Europa League. So in September... We really just focus on on the Premier League, and we have Nottingham Forest at home after the international break. Uh, we have Bournemouth, we have Aston Villa at home, and then we have Fulham away. So again, not too bad to to kind of continue a run that you start putting together from that first game. And listen, my midweeks are going to be no stress. I'm going to be able to kick <laughs> back and watch some of the other teams play good in the Champions League or struggle in the Champions League. But for Chelsea rest, recuperate, and then, yes, kind of hit the ground running on the Premier League, do right this season what we couldn't do last season, at least be competitive towards the end. Absolutely. And then we get into October. We have Burnley away ourselves to start off the month. And then, Jackie, this is where some of the tougher fixtures Mm. come into play. So Arsenal at home, Brentford at home to round off October. Then we go into November and we go Tottenham away. So Poch gets to visit Tottenham for the first time after leaving Manchester city at home, Newcastle United away. And then we go into December with Brighton at home, new Manchester United away. So a good stretch of five, six, seven fixtures where we're up against the teams that have finished in the top six, seven of this season. And that's where we will be really tested against the better teams. We really will. And I think I'm glad you shaped up the, line up and talked about, you know, October and November being difficult. But the previous months, at least the earlier parts of August, September, 
we should be able to build up some confidence, build up some steam. We should be well rested because the teams that we're going to be challenging against, the likes of Arsenal, Manchester City, Tottenham, Newcastle, Brighton, Man United, they're all in Europe, Rahul. They're all playing Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whatever the days are. So we should be able to get resting. And so I want to hear less excuses. Again, I want to be very clear with all the listeners. I'm not expecting us to beat all these teams, but I don't want to go see sad, lethargic, cannot score performances. We've got to give it our all this season and, again, correct the rights from, from this season. We do. And and to fact check, Tottenham did not make it into European spots. So they're in the same boat as us. But very nice. <laughs> uh, your, your point is very well taken. So I'll skip over a few. We go into Boxing Day, which is the traditional uh, holiday fixture. And we have Crystal Palace at home. So not a bad fixture to to have. We follow that up on 30th with Luton Town away. So we do get to visit Luton right before the end of the year. And that's going to be some atmosphere with the holidays with people being off but also with Chelsea coming to town and you never know where Luton at that point but Mm. or where Chelsea are really so that should be a a fun game and then there's a two-week break at least the way it's set up right now so in January we go from uh, playing at the end of December we don't play again till the 13th of January so two-week break where we play Fulham and then Liverpool so those are only two fixtures of course there'll be FA Cup in and around that Uh, so January seems to be light which is okay and then we go into February, we have Wolves, Crystal Palace, Man City, Tottenham. So suddenly the fixtures from October, November are getting flipped around. And now we're having these these tougher games with Manchester City, Tottenham, Brentford, Newcastle, Arsenal in that February, March time frame, mm-hmm. which again, like you said, was when the Champions League comes back into the play for these other teams. And, and maybe they... They're looking at those games or looking at maybe a Carabao Cup final, which hopefully I, I truly hope that we make it that far because that presents an opportunity for us to win a trophy. Uh, but it's one of those things where if you're at that point of the season going into February or March and you're hopefully in our case pushing towards the top four or even higher, you're in a rhythm. You're in a, in a mentality of we need to be fighting every game. We're not slipping down like we did this season. Um, and then we go into April, where we start off with Manchester United, Sheffield, Everton, Brighton, Villa. So packed April. And then, Jackie, our final three fixtures for the season are West Ham, Nottingham Forest away, and Bournemouth at home. So a good finish at home. And maybe, a... no, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think there are a couple of pockets of tough challenges that are going to come. And I think those are the challenges that will not only test Chelsea Football Club, Mauricio Pochettino, it will test test us as fans because Chelsea fans after last season have become very, very cynical, very quick to judge, very quick to ask for the axe. And I think we need to give Pochettino the whole season at the very least to show us what he can do and through those tough games support him. I think they're also in key moments during the season you're talking about towards the later half of the first part of the season. And we know that February, March run is is very, very important for anybody going for top four, four European places. So I'm careful with my words because I don't say Premier League, but top four European places. And that should be the goal, Rahul, is push back for top four European places, get back into the normal swing of things. It's going to be very, very difficult. Newcastle are strengthening. Aston Villa have strengthened. Liverpool have purchased uh, the Brighton fella. I forget his name. United may, get, United may get Mount. Kai Havertz may go to Arsenal. Man City may get Kovacic. So 
it's just difficult across the board. It becomes difficult every year. So you have to remain extremely focused and maybe the Champions League and lack of European games will be beneficial for Pochettino. I, I truly hope and believe that it will be, but you just never know. But let's let's stay positive. And I do agree with you. I think a, a top four push is something that we should realistically target. And then again, a trophy for me, a Carabao Cup, maybe an FA Cup, because that not only gets Pochettino over that hump of I haven't won in this country, but also gets the boys to believe in, yes, this manager can get us to these these finals and take us a step further. And under him, we can be successful. And the owners and the new group need a trophy as well to to show what they've kind of been working around in the behind the scenes with all these players and movements and everything. Uh, so I, I hope that we make it, but I'll take a top four finish because ultimately that's that's where we want to be and go back to the Champions League. Um, so those are the fixtures. Things will change along the season, but it all starts up again for Chelsea on August 13th, which is under two months. There's a preseason to come in between and a lot of player movements to happen in between. But Jackie, any parting thoughts for you before we wrap it up? Listen, the fixture list looks exciting. I think the exits and the new signings are going to be very, very important for us to dream about top four. I think if we don't have the right start to preseason, if we don't have the right profile of players for preseason, it could be another tough year. But I'm going to stay positive, like you said, Things will go in the right direction. We'll sign the right players. The ones that are not fitting the, the bill will leave. And Chelsea will try to come back to the glorious days of before. Amen to that. But that wraps it up, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Please continue to subscribe, like, and follow us. It's at the Premier Chels on all podcast providers, Instagram, and on Twitter. It's at Premier Chels. And we will be back with an episode updating on everything going on in and around Chelsea, but also some of the other teams. But until then, stay safe and up to Chelsea. Hey guys, the Premier Chelsea is sponsored by Kickoff Coffee. They are a top quality artisanal roasted coffee. In other words, they're Champions League winner and Premier League winner every single time. They deliver fresh bags directly to your home, so you don't have to go to a coffee shop and pick up something. And the best part about them is every bag gives back to soccer charities. 10% of the proceeds go to organizations that use soccer to promote youth social development in the underserved areas. Use our code TPCOFFEE15 to get 15% off your order. You can order at kickoffcoffeeco.com or check out the links on our social media. Thanks.